Open our Bibles in the Old Testament to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in your morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like an ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye has also seen my desire upon my enemies. My ears hear my desire upon the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. But those who, are plant, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 92, the song for the Sabbath several important elements. We may observe six distinctive features in Psalm 92. The first feature is the title, a song for the Sabbath day. This psalm is located in the fourth book of the Psalter, Psalms 90 through 106, and that section is characterized by the theme of faithfulness, of comfort in God's faithfulness. This is the only psalm of the 150 that has the title inspired a song for the Sabbath day. Now in the Bible, the Sabbath is an ordinance revealed in creation, redemption, and eternity. In creation, God rested on the seventh day from his six days of making everything out of nothing and ordained it as a day of rest for humanity. In redemption, Israel marked the Sabbath day as a day of their deliverance. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 5, 15, and you shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath marked a day of redemption. In the New Testament, Jesus declares in Mark 2, 
27, the Sabbath was made for man, not merely for the Jews. Under the authority of the risen Savior, the apostles moved the day, the Sabbath day forward from Saturday to Sunday. The change of day not only marked the resurrection, but also marked the fact that no longer is the Sabbath observed by the people of Israel, but is observed by the church, which Paul calls in Galatians 6, 16, the Israel of God. The Israel of God is comprised of people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. The day was changed and the Sabbath was preserved. As the Sabbath was a moral command of God from the beginning, so it remains a moral command of God. New Testament passages that are often cited as teaching all days are alike in the New Covenant actually do not reject the Sabbath, but only elaborate on the Jewish calendar holy days. John writes in Revelation 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He makes it clear that there is still a holy day in the new covenant. The Lord's day is a special day that belongs to the Lord. In the New Testament, the only day given any special attention is Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and has made the first day rather than the seventh day holy for his own. From the beginning of creation to Jesus, we looked forward to the rest that would come at the end. With the coming of Jesus, who has won the victory in the resurrection, we look backwards. We look, we look ahead to what's coming. And so we Christians begin our week with rest on the first day of the week, resting in Christ and worshiping Christ. In creation, redemption, and in eternity, the Sabbath is applied. In eternity, this Sabbath expects the everlasting Sabbath rest for God's people, which is yet to come, as is stated in Hebrews, 9 verse, Hebrews 4, verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. This is pointing toward the pattern of the one day in seven as a day of rest and worship for the sacred assembly will overflow into an everlasting rest and worship in eternity. The second feature of this psalm are the two divine names, Lord and Most High. We should notice that the name Lord occurs seven times in this psalm. Is sabbatical number. The third feature is the theme of creation, providence, and redemption. Fourth feature is the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The fifth feature is the central verse, verse 8, and the chiastic structure of this psalm. The most important statement in chiasm is the middle statement, is the central statement. Chiasm comes from the Greek word X. The Greek word X gives you a picture of going from the outside 
to the inside. And that's what this psalm is doing, is placing statements on the outside that work to the most important statement, which is on the inside, which is a central verse, which is verse 8. <coughs> on either side of verse 8 are statements about the wicked. And then our descriptions of the righteous, and at the beginning and the close of the psalm, <clears throat> ends with those who are worshiping the Lord. The sixth feature of this psalm is the single voice who is singing, singing in the first person. This psalm was prepared to be heard in the voice of the Lord Jesus. He leads corporate worship on the Sabbath in the adoration of the Lord, who is most high, in his exaltation in creation, redemption, and eternity. The outline that we will use starts with the opening and closing verses. We will then move toward the center and conclude with a focus on verse 8, you, Lord, are on high forevermore. This psalm exalts the Lord who is high, who is lifted up. Think of Isaiah's vision in chapter 6. The Lord lifted up in the temple. This praise of his people does not um, does indeed exalt and glorify the Lord even though our praise cannot actually make God greater or higher than he is, the Lord is pleased to receive our praise, to exalt him in our hearts and in our minds. The exaltation of the Lord may be summarized by four headings. The Lord is exalted in the magnificence of the revelation of himself. The Lord is exalted in the sustained nourishing of the righteous the Lord is exalted in the destruction of the wicked. And the Lord is exalted in the eternal elevation of himself. Another way, a simple way to express these four headings is, the Sabbath is a day to express God's worship, to experience God's blessing, to expect God's cursing, and to exalt God's greatness. The Lord is, is exalted in the magnificent revelation of himself. The Sabbath day is the day to express God's worship. The opening and closing thoughts of Psalm 92 exalt magnificent revelation of God in his person, in his work, and in his assembly, which leads the worshipers to praise him. Now notice this is not an individual private worship. This is accompanied by musical instruments which was public and temple worship. You must realize who God is and what he has made you. He has made you to worship him. In verse 1, the excellency of praise in his person begins. This psalm begins, it is good. In this context, good means fitting and right in itself. It is also good for me, that it brings joy to my heart. It is fitting and right for me to give thanks to the Lord, 
It is the highest calling of a creature to confess the Lord and to sing praises to the name, to his name, who is most high. The majority of the Sabbath day is to admire, to praise, to celebrate God's work, to sing God's praise, to draw near to him, to make a clear demarcation between the church and the society, the culture. When we gather as a church, we declare that we belong to King Jesus and that he is the Lord of his church. Giving thanks to God and singing praise to God are two crucial parts of worship. This psalm identifies the God we worship by two names, Lord and Most High. The uppercase word Lord is the divine name explained to Moses at the burning bush. It's God's covenant name, I am, or I am who I am. His name reveals God as he who is, or he who has being, or he who exists. Lord is his near name, near to us. He has wedded himself to his people. He loves them. He's committed to them. He is imminent, close. The second name, Most High, exalts the one who is above everything, who owns everything, who holds everything. He rules from a position of unparalleled, unapproachable, unimpeachable, unchallengeable sovereignty. He is transcendent. Then there are examples of praising his work in verses 2 and 15. His work. Two praiseworthy elements of God's work in verse 2, his loving kindness and his faithfulness. Loving kindness or steadfast love is God's stubborn determination to be true to his covenant and to be kind to your soul no matter how long it takes him, no matter how much it costs him, no matter what you deserve. Loving kindness, steadfast love. God has loved his own from all eternity and will ever continue to love and to care for them. Because he loves them, he is faithful to his promises. He is completely reliable and worthy of praise. In verse 15, it is added the clarity of his perfect holiness in all of his doings. God's character is a great comfort to his people in all circumstances, in all trials of life. Loving kindness and faithfulness are paired four times in this altar. John Calvin comments, He would have us consider in mentioning these that not only is God worthy of praise, but that we ourselves are chargeable with ingratitude and perversity should we refuse it. We are the proper objects of his faithfulness and goodness, and it would, I would argue inexcusable indifference if they did not elicit our cordial praise. Calvin. Notice also the reference to the morning and evening in verse 2. This refers to the morning and evening sacrifices at the temple. The rhythm of morning and evening has continued in the New Testament church until recently. For 1900 years, almost every Christian tradition has been, there's been a morning and evening worship on the Lord's Day. 
where she began and ended every Sunday, except in extreme circumstances. The New Testament followed the practice of Old Testament worship. Examples of praise in his work. Now in verse 3, exaltation of praise in his assembly. The response to God's person and work are described in the context of Old Testament temple, which required a central sanctuary, priests who descended from the Levites, animal sacrifices, and musical instruments. John Calvin comments on the instruments. The intention of them was to stimulate the workers and to stir them up more actively to celebrate the praise of God from the heart. We are to remember that the worship of God is never understood to consist in such outward services, which are only necessary to help forward a people as yet weak and rude in knowledge in the spiritual worship of God. The difference is to be observed in this respect between his people and under the Old and under the New Testament. For now that Christ has appeared, the church has reached full age, and it were to bury the light of the gospel should we introduce the shadows of a departed dispensation. John Calvin. Christians did not use instruments in the second century or indeed for many centuries afterwards. The early church looked on musical instruments as part of Jewish worship or pagan worship. The power of God's, the not part of the apostolic tradition of Christian worship. There are at least four distinct advantages of non-instrumental singing. The voice of God's people does not compete with the musician. The centrality of God's word is not reduced to mood music. The power of God's worship is not dependent on human performance. The attraction of God's presence is not overshadowed by human accompaniment. We are commanded to worship God with joy and gladness. If we are enjoying worship with God, we don't need a command. For example, once there was a woman who married a churlish, rude, and demanding man. He made a list of 20 rules for his wife that she must keep or he would punish her. For 10 miserable years, the woman kept the rules to the best of her ability. Then finally, God was gracious to the woman and took the wicked husband. In time, she found a good and kind husband. She loved being married to him. One day, while she was cleaning the house, she happened to find the list from her former husband. To her amazement, she was doing all those rules and duties for her kind and loving husband. She never thought about her work as duty and requirement. When we love our Lord as we should, we naturally express that love thankfully, joyfully, worshipfully. We declare his greatness in singing songs worthy of the Sabbath. In his person, 
his work, his assembly, the Lord is exalted in the magnificent revelation of himself, or the Sabbath day is a day to express God's worship. The Lord is exalted in the sustained flourishing of the righteous, or the Sabbath day is a day to experience God's blessings. God is the audience of worship. Worship is intended to have an effect on us, is to make us glad and to fill us with joy. What makes us glad and joyful are God's work, creation, providence, redemption, and God's works as we see the series of events that he does carrying out his creation, providence, and redemption. The Bible reveals that God created all things out of nothing. This establishes a distinction between the uncreated being, the eternal God, and created being, everything else. Creation is an external work of God. It points away from itself. It points to its maker. As Paul states in Romans 1, verse 20, creation declares God's eternal power and divine nature. Creation leads us to the God who is. Creation is the indivisible work of the Holy Trinity. God is exalted in his works which reveals something of his thoughts, verse 5. God is exalted in the flourishing of the righteous, verses 12 through 14. The righteous are not compared to fleeing grass, but to long-lasting trees. A tree does not flourish because it's clever, hardworking, or has free will. It flourishes because a gardener has planted it, watered it, and protected it. God is exalted in the blessing that he gives to his people. The Sabbath is a day to experience God's blessings. The Sabbath is a day to expect God's cursing. The Lord is exalted in the just destruction of the wicked. This psalm teaches us that God is exalted in the destruction of the wicked. In our sentimental age, we have become squeamish about the terrible judgment that awaits those who reject the Lord. But the Bible is clear from the beginning to the end that judgment is coming. That judgment will be just and will vindicate the holiness of God. When we praise God on the Sabbath for the coming judgment, we remember the importance of rejecting worldliness and to pursue true godliness. Impatient man cannot understand why God would bear so long with those who fail to turn to him and acknowledge him. The springing up of grass is a good comparison. For when it appears in the Holy Land in the spring, its growth is surprisingly rapid. So also the success of the wicked may be phenomenal. But on the other hand, as grass and all attendant vegetation soon perishes with the coming of the hot weather, so the flourishing of the wicked has, wicked has so to speak, its purpose that they may be destroyed forever. They flourish to die. What is desirable about their lot? 
The Lord is exalted in the just destruction of the wicked. The Sabbath is a day to expect God's cursings. The Lord is exalted in the eternal elevation of himself. The Sabbath is a day to exalt God's greatness. What does it mean that God is exalted? Exaltation is measured by the standard of God. Verse 2 records God's loving kindness in the morning and faithfulness every night. This is reverence for one who is transcendent, who is wholly different from us. His glory demands our reverence. Today's worship is so man-centered. Worship is evaluated by what we get out of it. Our national anthem may as well be, Oh, say, can you see what's in it for me? <clears throat> this psalm expresses the wonder of worship by being in the presence of the one who is highly exalted. Worship is entering the presence of the holy and righteous God. This verse 15 concludes, there is no unrighteousness in him. The one who is the Lord, the Most High, he is the one who is outside our capacity to conceive. Zophar, the name of thy rightly counseled Job, can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is lengthier than the earth and broader than the sea. God is different in kind from all created activity. You, Lord, are on high forever. This is the heartbeat of this psalm. This is the theological centerpiece of the psalm, the rock on which everything else is built. In every conceivable sense, God is on high. That is, he is above creation. He is above any neediness. He is above any causality. Nobody caused him. He is above all power. He is above reproach. He is above the use of earthly exist experiences. He is above the possibility of change. He is forever, that is, he is eternal. He is the great sustainer of the universe and of your faith. He inhabits the highest. He is mighty in the highest. He is God on high. He is not part of this temple reality. He is transcendent, although all temporal reality finds its existence in him. There's an expression in the New Testament used to describe the Psalms as the word of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the ancient titles of various Old Testament psalms. In the New Testament, Paul uses these titles as a three-term description of the Psalter. 
Therefore, the Psalter is the word of Christ. The word of Christ includes more than the book of Psalms, but the Psalms are included in the word of Christ. An Old Testament edition of the Psalms in red letter would have every Psalm in red, the word of Christ. Psalms are words spoken about Christ or spoken by Christ. Psalms are poems meant to be sung in Reformed tradition until the 19th century psalms were all that the church sang. We sing the psalms. When we sing the psalms, we sing the word of Christ. Jesus is saying here, because he is the speaker of this psalm, God's throne is stable, unchangeable, immovable, in contrast to the world which is in constant flux. So much so that Jesus can say in verse 9, For behold, your enemies are doomed to destruction. All enemy doers are scattered. Behold is not in the future tense, but a word in the present tense. From the perspective of eternity, God sees the punishment of the wicked now. He sees everything that happens in history now. Everything is present before God. He knows the history of everything in the eternal now. God is exalted in the song of the Sabbath itself. He is enthroned in the praises of Israel. He is exalted by the singing of his people. Here is a song that God inspired to be used in worship of him on the Sabbath. We must remember that God made the Sabbath for worship as well as for rest. The Sabbath was and is a weekly reminder that we serve a reliable God who will destroy his enemies and will prosper his people even if they have to wait to see it happen. Psalm 92 is a perfect Sabbath psalm because it helps us to worship and praise God. The Sabbath gives us time to think, time to think of what God has done and is doing, time to realize how perfectly his works answer to his word, and so to understand more fully his gracious purposes and in confidence to wait. The Sabbath day, the Sabbath is a day to exalt God's greatness. The center of the psalm is that the Lord is on high forevermore. Remember this in times of trial and when you are afraid. Everything about us is going crazy. But God is on high. He is exalted. He is above all this. He is our stability in the midst of chaos. He is faithful in our world of malice. He has determined history and will execute justice. The psalmist sings and teaches us well that the Sabbath is a day to express God's worship, to experience God's blessings, to expect God's cursings, and to exalt God's greatness. The Lord Jesus teaches us best about his exaltation in a song for the Sabbath. Most merciful God, 
We do praise you that you have recorded in the scriptures a psalm so designated for the Sabbath that we might be reminded and meditate upon the reality that you have established in creating a seventh day and now making it the first day of the week of rest to mark the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ that is secure and accomplished and that anticipates not only righteousness for your people, but also judgment for your enemies. We live in such a tumultuous time. It is difficult to be wise about speaking to others and the issues that they hold. There is fierce opposition in our nation. There is great confusion about truth and error. And so we are all the more encouraged to come on a Sabbath day to think about the Sabbath psalm and to know that you are the Lord who is close to us and the Most High who is far above us. We thank you for revealing yourself and for teaching us that the one who is singing this psalm to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that we might join with him in singing your praise and honoring you, Lord God Most High. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 